Welcome to the Canucks Hour with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Dremitz. The game underway with Kurt Fraser dumping the puck into the Calgary zone. It tips the Bernie right in front. This is where Vancouver talks Canucks. Ten seconds left. Marcus Naslin to the net. Stop. Scores. Scores. Matt Cook. Cash it in. Messer passes back through the middle for Pedersen off the bench. Took it off a broken stick and scored. Pedersen on the backhand elevates it over Peter Marazic. And the Canucks win. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Travis Hamanick is on a temporary leave of absence, but the Canucks are in Buffalo to play the Sabres. And Travis Green and Canucks fans both hoping Brock Besser will be in the lineup tonight. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodge, Thomas Trance alongside me once again. And Trancer, it's our first game day edition of Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. I've I've decided we're gonna be like the Seattle Kraken. You know, we have a new show, so any first that we can plausibly celebrate, no matter how mundane, no matter how minor, we're going to blow it out of proportion. So it's the first game day edition of Canucks Hour here at Sportsnet 650. You know, I spent some years doing like seasonal work as a bus tour guide in downtown Toronto, and I I did that too. It'd be like, yeah, that was the first mixed (laughs) residence at the University of Toronto, like... Yeah, no, it's it's wow. very important to celebrate the money. <laughs> wow, take photos like un- <laughs> unbelievable. Wow, I uh, I used to I used to tell people at a particularly dense intersection where the power lines like locked you in that it resembled a raptor pen and that that's where the Toronto Raptors got their name and people would just take photos of the power lines. <laughs> always always got a kick out of that. But yeah, I'm coming at you live from Buffalo. Do you know that Buffalo is not actually named after the animal? I mean, I guess I didn't know that, but it doesn't come as a great surprise to me when I hear it. You know what I mean? I don't I don't think of upstate New York as a, a hotbed of buffalo activity, I guess. <laughs> where the where the buffalo roam. It's it's actually taken from the French Beaufleuve, which of course means beautiful waterfall, Niagara Falls right across the way. Uh, but yeah, excited for today, actually. I'm I'm excited to be in Buffalo, uh, the crown jewel of upstate New York. And <laughs> and I'm looking forward to tonight's game, with which, you know, there's some intrigue going into tonight. Yeah, unlike Jack Eichel, you are excited to be in Buffalo. And that, that look, the, the etymology of Buffalo, that's the kind of touch that you are only going to get on the Canucks Hour. You're not going to find that anywhere else except for this show right here. By the way, of course, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Get your thoughts in. We always want to hear from you throughout the course of the show. And Anthony helpfully texts in that, Jamie, turn your mic down. It's screaming. Well, I appreciate that, Anthony. I will get right on that. So there you go. The listeners already helping us out uh, only a few minutes into the show. Lots to talk about today. I mentioned a few of the big storylines going into tonight's game coming in in the intro. There was an optional skate that the Canucks have already taken part in this morning in Buffalo. Drancer, you were there, and we'll touch on this more throughout the course of the show, but just kind of uh, to get us started, probably the big story coming out of that optional skate was Brock Besser was a full participant, and Travis Green says that he's hopeful that Besser could potentially play tonight against the Sabres. Yeah, and you know, I take that comment as a sign that maybe we should tamp down any optimism about this being the night that Besser returns to be totally honest with you like I'm hopeful is not I think what you wanted to hear after a practice on Monday in Detroit where it looked like Besser was 
raring to go, right? I mean, full participant, worked with PP1. That, to me, was a really good indication that he'd return today. You know, I didn't get to watch the full skate, so I, I wasn't hawk-eyed on Besser the way I have been at most morning skates when I'm able to watch the whole thing. But but Green went and Tanner Pearson went sort of while the skate was still ongoing. So I didn't have a chance to scope out exactly how often Besser went to the bench to consult with trainers or how unencumbered he seemed uh, as he moved about the ice. But at this point, with the way that the absence has unfolded, right? And, and you know, this isn't me reporting anything. This is just based on my observation and understanding of, of sometimes how player timeline and injuries can work. You know, obviously it's something that's been a little bit unpredictable. He's already missed more time than he was originally projected to. You know, clearly something that may be lingering a bit. And, you know, the fact that despite what we saw on Monday, he's not for sure in, but that it seems to be a little bit more of a hopeful thing to me suggests that this might be a to-the-wire kind of decision today and, and that there is a possibility that he may return later in the week, which, you know, isn't inconsistent with what we'd been talking about yesterday, for example, but perhaps isn't the news that Canucks fans would have wanted to hear coming out of the morning skate, the optional morning skate, although very well attended in Buffalo. Yeah, not ideal, as you said, but I don't think any reason to be concerned that there's maybe a long-term or significant setback of any sort. Just, you know, probably, well, who knows? It's hopeful, so it could still happen, but as you said, not the optimistic tone uh, that fans might have wanted to hear from Travis Green after the optional skate in Buffalo this morning. A couple Jamie, of other notes. Jamie, we got, a, we got a note, though. Nick Patan designated for assignment to the All right. Canucks. So, and Brock Besser activated, so... That then would seem to be a much bigger data point in favor of perhaps <laughs> Travis yeah. Green's hopes being realized. It looks like Besser's ready to go. Disregard what we just said. Yeah, his wishes and <laughs> dreams have been fulfilled. Have Travis Green's and those of Canucks fans. So as you said, that they they would have had to make a corresponding roster move of some sort, right, to clear the space for Brock Besser to to uh, to be activated and go into the lineup. So that certainly looks like what is going to happen tonight. I don't think they would make that move unless they're very, very confident that Brock Besser is able to go tonight in Buffalo. So all signs now pointing to Brock Besser making his season debut for the team against the Buffalo Sabres when they face off later this afternoon here in Vancouver time this evening in Buffalo time. We'll get to the implications of Besser's return a little bit later throughout the show. A couple other quick hitting points from the optional skate today. No surprise whatsoever here that Thatcher Demko is going to be back in the crease tonight for the Canucks. The other little interesting nugget was that Travis Green saying, you know, maybe it's not tonight, but he's going to look for a chance to get either Brad Hunt or Luke Shen into the game at some point. Obviously, neither of them have played. It's been Jack Rathbone and Kyle Burrows so far through the first three games on that third pairing. But Travis Green saying he wants to find a chance to get either or Brad Hunt uh, and, and Luke Shen into the game at some point. But the big story as it concerns the Canucks defense, we were touching on it in our show yesterday, Drancer. Didn't have confirmation of exactly what was happening until after our show aired, and that, of course, concerns Travis Hamannick. And just to get everyone caught up so we're all on the same page here, Jim Benning released a statement yesterday saying that Travis, Travis Hamannick has been placed on a temporary leave of absence, and he said that it's a mutually agreed-upon leave of absence that will give Travis time as he works through his personal matter. So we're going to do this every show at about this time. If you know anything about Thomas Dranch, you know he's got a lot to say about the Canucks. This is his chance to say it, to do a deep dive on the biggest topic of the day. So let's go ahead. Let's get to the point. 
Here's a good idea. Hughes shoots from the line and scores! Quinn Hughes from the left point! Have a point. Oliver Ekman Larson from the top of the point! It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Quinn Hughes with a bullet for the point, and the Canucks get a power play goal. Let's get to the point. Well, Jamie, we have to talk about Travis Hamannick. This is one of the trickiest stories I've ever encountered as a hockey reporter. We think we know part of the story, which is protocol related, but we also know for sure. One thing we know for sure is that we don't know the full story. Those that do know it, well, it's telling that when they talk about the situation, they do so in hushed tones with some concern in their voice and maybe a bit of confusion. They also don't elaborate on or off record, which is a rarity in this business. Repeatedly, they ask for privacy for the player. On multiple occasions since this became a story on testing day back in mid-September, over a month ago, the club, general manager Jim Benning and head coach Travis Green included, have, you know, asked, beseeched the media, trying to create space for the player to deal with this situation privately. Unfortunately, right, it's tough for us as media to anticipate sensitivities when we're not even really sure exactly what we're trying to be sensitive about. That's the reporter in me talking. And he's a natural skeptic. The caring human being in me, however, just wishes the best for Hamannick and his family at this point. We hope he's well. We hope whatever is going on is clarified soon and that he's able to resume his career on his terms. In the meantime, as this uncertainty continues, Hamannick's taken a temporary leave of absence from the club. This is not a suspension without pay, I'm told, even in terms of the specific CBA mechanism at play. It's actually a relatively bespoke short-term solution for the club and the player. It buys them time to figure this out. In the short term, the club gets immediate cap relief and salary relief here. That's big. Hamannick will not be paid, nor will he count, against the Canucks' salary cap during the term of this absence. These types of announcements are usually bridges to something, right? That's something to keep in mind. And a suspension without, a, without pay would have been an escalation, right? Like, it would have been something that could have put the team and the player on the road to perhaps a termination. This temporary leave, however, it's materially different. It's a device agreed to by both sides with the consent of the NHLPA and the NHL, which buys time for everybody while giving the team some flexibility immediately. It's not a backdoor opt-out either, right? Like this isn't intended to be a permanent or even long-term solution. The team would very much like to have Hamannick back. And though I think it's fair for us to harbor some skepticism about how effective Hamannick would be having missed a month of training camp, having missed the preseason, having missed the first week of the regular season to this point, all told, the team hopes to have him back and in the lineup at some point this season. In the meantime, Hamannick will receive some partial pay on his very first paycheck on the 29th of October, but that's it going forward. And he's off the cap for now. That gives the Canucks somewhere north of $2 million in available cap space, which is handy in managing the day-to-day. And that will become almost $3 million on Tyler Mott's return to the lineup at some point soon. The issue for Vancouver here, right, is that it's not $3 million in flexible cap space. The club will have to hold some of that space for planning purposes in case Hamannick's return, uh, in case Hamannick returns. It's why you can take the club saying that they're satisfied with the state of the right side of their blue line and won't look to the trade market, for example, to replace Hamannick while he's gone with a heaping of salt. Of course they won't. They can't really commit the cap space. My understanding is that Hamannick's leave isn't a long-term thing here. That the club expects to have some further clarity of some sort well ahead of, for example, the March 21st NHL trade deadline. 
In the meantime, we'll have to talk about this situation because it impacts pretty much everything the club can do between now and then. It impacts their cap space, their roster flexibility, their salary commitments. The contract itself extends through next season, so it's a cap liability for the medium term. It also impacts the club's Achilles heel on the ice, which is that right side of their defense. That's all hockey stuff, though. And while we're more comfortable, perhaps, having conversations in that space, this isn't a hockey story anymore, fundamentally. It's a human story, one that requires some delicacy, some patience, and yes, some space from the usual megawatt scrutiny that this Vancouver market brings. And that's the point. There you go. That's to the point with uh, Thomas Drans on the Travis Hamannick situation and everything going on with the player and the Canucks and the leave of absence now that was announced yesterday. Get your thoughts in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And, I mean, Drancer, first of all, you make a good point that this might have – when this story started to really break, you know, just before training camp, right, with Hamannick not being there, Benning saying that he was going to be there – it's a lot of people wanted to put it in the very straightforward box of, okay, this is about vaccinations, right? We don't know. We don't, we know so little about this. And I think the longer it goes on, the more it is clear to us that we know very, very little about the underlying issues at hand here with Travis Hamannick and why he's not with the Canucks. So I think it's really important, as you mentioned, to kind of keep the human element of this story at the forefront of our minds and try to resist, as tempting as it might be, resist speculating about the whys of his absence. And again, I understand that's there's a reason that people's minds jump to certain conclusions, but the more we hear off the record, whatever the case is, the more we hear, the more it seems like this is actually a pretty complicated story happening. And, and I completely agree with you that the human side is most important here, fundamentally with Travis Hamannick and his family. But it's also fascinating from a hockey perspective, right? And and there's so much to get into with the announcement that the Canucks made yesterday about Travis Hamannick putting him on a leave of absence. You know, initially the news broke from Cap Friendly saying, oh, our sources indicate that he's going to be suspended without pay. And as you pointed out, well, that's a very, very different step than a mutually agreed upon leave of absence. But it is interesting because from a cap mechanics perspective, they're very similar, unless I'm mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong. But purely from a cap, a numbers perspective, they're very similar decisions. What the difference seems to be is almost semantic in the sense of, as you said, if we suspended this player we're going down a road of trying to end this relationship. Whereas right now, the team is trying to preserve the relationship, however difficult that may be going forward. Yeah, and that's a material difference to me. That's not semantic, right? Like, to, to me, that is a, a material difference and why this is really about buying time for a resolution to come, you know, on the players' terms. And, you know, the organization, make no mistake, is supportive of this player and would love to have him back at some point when, when, when it's appropriate. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, I mean, <laughs> working this with sources, like, they, I, I can just tell that there's more there. You know, like, I can just tell that we need to be careful in how we approach this overall from that human side. Um, you know, even if I don't have the clarity on exactly what that looks like, I, I, can, I can tell from the way that the organization is defending their player that that there's more here than, you know, meets the eye. But <laughs> complicated, as you put it, I mean, I think that's an understatement. It's, yeah. it's clearly extraordinarily complicated. And, you know, 
it's it's tough because it's such a big story in this marketplace and and its ramifications are mammoth for the hockey club itself and yet this isn't one that can be filtered through or broken down in the way that fans and you know paying customers and people who care about this team and also like to find solutions for this team on their own while exploring cap friendly and have <laughs> five armchair gms on the on the go at any given moment like you know it, there there's no clarity coming until there's a human solution to this and we do have to sort of give it some space to play out on you know not unfortunately but i mean you know just based on our our shared compassion as human beings yeah, it's, uh, you know, getting the extra cap space is a lot different on October 19th than it would be, you know, on July 10th or something like that, right? It, it's a lot more difficult to kind of put that cap space to use when the season is already underway and you're at this point of the calendar than it would be another time. So, I, I, yeah, as you said, you know, fans jump to, okay, an extra $3 million. Who are, who are they going to go trade for? Who are they going to go out and get? It, it's not necessarily... That simple. Lack texts in to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Kudos to the Canucks for standing behind their player. Not many employers would. And, well, it's an interesting comment because I will say, you know, kudos to the Canucks for protecting the privacy of Travis Hamannick to the degree which they have so far. They have been adamant completely from, from the start of this that they are going to respect his privacy. But it's also hard to say, you know, not many employers would do this. Because we don't know what the this is, right? We don't know what the issue is that they are standing behind their player for. And that's not to criticize the Canucks in this situation. It's just another illustration of the complexity and the uncertainty surrounding it. You know, you mentioned that Jim Benning came out and said yesterday, look, we're not we're not concerned about rushing out there and trying to replace Travis Hamannick because we're actually pretty satisfied with what we've got from the right side of our defense. And as you say, take that with a grain of salt because their options are limited. But I will say looking at it, I think there's some truth to it. And and maybe this is just because I'm lower on Travis Hamannick than the Canucks as a team are, right? And, and from their actions and from the fact that they signed him to a two-year contract, obviously they believe in, a play, in the player a certain amount. But you know, I have not been watching these first three games and thinking, man, the Canucks really miss Travis Hamannick on the blue line right now. So I understand where Benning is coming from with that comment. Sure. You know, this is one of those things, though, where, like, I was looking through team defensive stats just to see how the Canucks have performed, and they're basically middle of the pack, and that's a massive improvement over last season. But I noticed that one of the teams that was the worst in the league so far through the first week of the year is the New York Islanders, right? And it's like, well, that's not going to be true in 10 games, much less 30 games, right? Uh, You know, one of the teams that's generating the most offensively is the Buffalo Sabres (laughs) in terms of the amount of shots they're, they're getting and the amount of scoring chances. And that's also not going to be true in 10 games much less 30 right uh the canucks their right side to this point i think there's been some admirable performances but you know tucker pullman as a number one right side d i mean there's there's not a ton of suspense here over the course of a full season you know that's that's a tough way to live right uh you know tyler myers is playing a ton of tough minutes with oliver ekman larson over the course of a tough uh, of a long season that's a tough way to live uh, you know, Burroughs and Rathbone have been great. They've, they've played bottom six competition almost exclusively, and they've done really well. Like, the opposition is generating nothing against that Rathbone-Burroughs pair. You love to see it, but 
you know, again, I mean, there's only so much you can do against deeper teams. I mean, it's one thing to not face bottom six competition against the Detroits and even the Edmontons of the world, no matter how much Edmonton upgraded their their depth. It's a totally different thing when you play the Blues or the Colorado Avalanche, right? Like, I mean, as the sample expands, I don't think there's a ton of suspense. The right side of Vancouver's defense core is going to be problematic uh, at some point over the course of a long season. And, you know upgrading it I do think is at some point going to be crucial if this club hopes to you know realize their relatively lofty ambitions of of making the playoffs and being you know a a team that can challenge when they get there and to be clear everything that we've heard and I'm sure that you've heard indicates that the Canucks would still love to have Travis Hamannick back on the ice for them during this NHL season right like that would be their ideal outcome to get Hamannick back in the fold and playing minutes for them on the blue line for sure. I mean, the the bet that this team made in constructing this blue line was that, you know, Pullman with Oliver ekman Larson was a, a fit that could be uniquely good, right? That that pair could be more than the sum of their parts. And based on what we saw, saw in the preseason, and honestly, based on what we've seen from Pullman in the first three games, I, I mean, I don't know that that bet was, you know, certainly that bet wasn't ludicrous right uh the bet that Hamannick and Hughes were uniquely complementary and could be more than the sum of their parts I think we saw evidence of that last season and when the logic of that sort of unfolds or, or unfolds as it has and all of a sudden you're looking at you know Pullman playing with Hughes and then Myers playing tougher minutes than the club would ideally like him to be playing right um you know you you sort of do get to a juncture where you know, I, I, you're probably going to need to find another right-handed defenseman that can caddy for Hughes so that you can slot everyone the way you want. I, I do think that's going to be necessary at some point. And, you know, it's it's really going to be fascinating to watch how they hold the fort in the meantime. And as we all know, right-handed defensemen, really easy to find quality ones in the NHL, right? Teams are just giving them away. Uh, not, no, no problems whatsoever to just add a quality right-handed defenseman in the middle of the season. And I no. joke, but I mean, it's, oh. it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one. And like, there's a reason that they wanted to sign Travis Hamannick, right? Because it is the, the market for right-handed defensemen is really crazy. We saw that with the Tucker Blumen contract as well, right? So, I mean, I agree with you. It's something that they are going to feel pressure to go out and do, but I just wonder realistically, what are their options going to be at that position? No, and they're not, I mean, I don't think they loved their options in the summer, right? Like, I I think that was a big reason why they brought Hamannick back in the first place. I think, you know, Pullman was the guy they liked. I I don't know that they had a ton of time for some of the other options that were out there on the market for, for various reasons. I mean, whether it was puck handling ability or skating or, you know, there was a, a concern about most of the guys that they had options to chase in free agency. Pullman was the guy who, you know, they identified in part because they thought the fit made sense with Ekman Larson based on his, you know, four directions mobility and the experience he had in Winnipeg playing a matchup role on Josh Morrissey's right side. And, you know, through three games anyway, I don't think that bet looks bad. You know, even if I I remain skeptical that over the course of 82, uh, Pullman's going to hold up as a a really useful contributor if if you're playing him, you know, those (laughs) almost 20 minutes a night five on five. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one. And th- this text comes in. What, have I, what I have seen from Tucker Pullman so far, that was a pretty good p- contract for a pretty good price, too. I mean, I hope he keeps it up. 
he's playing well so far. That's from the 650-650 no inbox. But th- as you say, Drancer, I mean, there's one thing to do it through three games when you're kind of, you know, okay, pushed up the lineup to start the season. But can you do it over 82, let alone over four seasons, right? Which, you know, that was the problem with a lot of people uh, that a lot of people had with the Tucker Pullman deal. It was the term more than the AAV they gave him. Just quickly on Travis Hanek before we move off and talk about some other things going on with the team tonight. So, again, it's always we get an answer on one thing, but it just creates so many more questions, it seems like, on this topic. And one that's sticking out for me is, okay, he's on this leave of absence. The Canucks have the cap space. They're not paying him. That's presumably going to be the status quo until something resolves with whatever's going on with Hamannick behind the scenes. What, if anything, can we say about what the second year of his deal looks like, right? Because we're, we're only in year one, and he does still have the second year left at $3 million on the books for the Canucks. I mean, is there any even sense in even trying to predict what might happen that far down the road, given how little we know about what's going on right now? No, and how unpredictable this has been over the course of the month. I mean, just, just go over the past month, right? And the expectation declared explicitly, right, was, you know, we, we think he'll be at camp, like, well, he'll be on the ice tomorrow. And then, of course, he was not. Uh, that was the opening day of training camp. And then even just a week ago, you know, we think he'll report to Abbotsford. And now we're at a point where there's a leave of absence. So I think trying to diagram this with sort of a a long lens, like a long-term lens, I think that's a fruitless pursuit because it doesn't even seem to be predictable week to week or day to day, even from the organization's perspective based on, you know, the the breadcrumbs that we can track in terms of just the public record, right? So, so yeah, I mean, I think this is a situation that remains uh, shrouded uh, in uncertainty. I I think that's by design in part to give you know, the individual, some space to work through whatever it is, Um, you know, while trying to be respectful of that, I do think it's important that we unpack what this means factually and in context for the hockey team. But besides that, I I do think we need to keep in mind the human element and do our best to be respectful in giving him the space to work through it. Yeah, I think about the only thing we can say is that it's going to it's going to be a story until something big changes, right? And even the leave of absence announcement yesterday, it's notable, but it's not that big thing that fundamentally changes the story or fundamentally puts it to bed. And we don't know what that's going to be. We have no way of knowing when that's going to happen. But until it happens, it's going to be a talking point. It's going to be an undercurrent for this Canucks season. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Keep your text coming in, 650-650. If you have thoughts about Travis Hamanick, the Canucks defense corps, anything else going on with the team, we want to hear from you. 650-650 is the text message inbox. On the other side, we'll look ahead. The Canucks play the Buffalo Sabres tonight. We'll dive into that. Plus, Brock Besser certainly looks like he's going to be into the lineup. What kind of impact can he have? That's coming up next on the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. 15 seconds left. Canucks need to hurry. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Once again, here's Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drenz. What's going on? Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. Thomas Strantz here alongside me. Keep getting your comments in. 
650, 650. Plenty of text coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. I would say most of them positive. Transfer, whether it's you know <laughs> comments about mic quality or whatever else the case may be uh people are popping off for sure in the 650 650 dunbar lumber text message inbox and we encourage you to do so as mentioned off the top of the show Drance, of course you are in beautiful scenic buffalo new york because hey the canucks they're playing the sabers today today at uh, four o'clock vancouver time seven o'clock Buffalo time. And of course, you can hear all of the pregame festivities here on Sportsnet Sportsnet 650. That kicks off at 2 o'clock. Satyar Shah and Randeep Janda will have you covered. Uh, Brendan Batchelor and I believe, again, Dan Riccio, pinch hitting on color commentary, will have the call at 4 for you. And, Drancer, I was... uh, I was thinking about this game yesterday when we when we finished our show. Looking ahead, okay, they play the Sabers tomorrow, and I kind of I almost had to stop and like scold myself when I caught myself thinking this thought. I couldn't believe I was actually thinking it, but I I was standing there saying, you know what, this this feels like kind of a big game for the Canucks. And look, even as I say it <laughs> on the it. radio, even as stop I say it. it, I realize how completely <laughs> and utterly ridiculous it is to say that because like, let's go through all of the factors. It's literally the fourth game of the season, the fourth game of the season. It's not as if they're off to an awful start. They have three points through three road games, which you'll take pretty much every day of the week. And it's not even a conference opponent. It's not a divisional opponent. It's not a rivalry. It's nothing, right? It's it's the Buffalo Sabers. Who cares? Well, it's, it's expansion, the of the expansion cousins. Your expansion cousins. Yeah, you always <laughs> wanna you always wanna get the hand up on your expansion cousins. But so I understand all of the reasons why. Hey, wait a second. This is actually not a big game in any sense of the traditional metric. But uh, look, here's where here's where I'm coming from. Allow me to defend myself at least. Okay, you got three (laughs) points on your first three road games. That's nice. That's nice. But you know what? Saturday, that was a missed opportunity against a a, a not very good Detroit Red Wings team. You played well. You you should have earned the two points, and that happens in hockey, and no one's going to rake you over the coals for not coming up with the win in that game. But it was a missed opportunity. I think that's a very fair way to look at it. You missed an opportunity to pick up two points on the road against a bad team. Well, guess what? You have another incredible opportunity in front of you. Yeah, I know Buffalo's 2-0, but come on, go look at this roster. This is not a particularly intimidating team. This is another great opportunity to go out on the road, pick up two points. It's not a back-to-back. In fact, they've had two days off since they last played. Short travel between Detroit and Buffalo. This is a golden chance to go out and get a win. So look, big game is probably stretching. It, It is stretching it. I understand that, but Come on, if 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 this Canucks team is a legitimate playoff team like they want to be, don't blow both of these games back-to-back. Go out, take this opportunity, get the two points against a bad Buffalo Sabres team. Yeah, I mean, look, here's where I agree with you to some extent, right? Good teams and the Canucks want to be a good team. They've pushed chips into the center of the table to be a good team this year. Good teams don't lose consecutively to the Detroit Red Wings and the Buffalo Sabres, period, like period. You know, a loss can happen to anybody, especially a loss where you throw 41 shots on net and are clearly the better team over the course of 60 minutes, as Vancouver was on Saturday. And you have a disallowed goal and, you know, a weird offside call and the the game sort of gets out of hand in the third period in terms of the, you know, extracurriculars. So, you know, whatever, that can happen to anybody. But when it happens to a good team, you got to win the next night. Like, you got to win the next night, especially if the opponent is a, a team like Buffalo in, 
you know, mired in really dire straits in terms of their roster and, and overall direction. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you in that whether this is a big game or not, it's not a particularly high leverage game. But what it is for sure is a game where the Canucks will tell us a lot about who they are this season. It's a chance for them to show that this team and this season is different, right? Because they've told us that a lot, right? And that's been the messaging all summer long is that that absolute disaster last year, that's not actually indicative of where this team is going, right? And because of the changes we made and because the schedule is back to normal, you're not going to see that again. And I mean, what happened last season to really set things in motion into the disaster it turned out to be, it was a bad start to the year. And it was a tailspin and they just never pulled out of it. Well, you have a chance now to avoid having a bad start to the year, right? You have a chance to, again, like turn your words into actions on the ice and go out and prove it. If, if this team is, in fact, significantly different than what we saw last year, as you said, Drancer, they're not going to lose this game. Because for all of the talk about, okay, the Buffalo Sabres are 2-0 and and everyone expected them to be, you know, at the very bottom of the standings, look, it's two wins. You still go look at that roster and there is not a lot that frightens you if you're an opposing team, if you're an opposing coach. I get it. It's the NHL. Any team can beat any other team on any given night. That's the way the league is. But it does feel like the, an opportunity for the Canucks to deliver a statement that this this year is different. Just like we've been telling you, now we're going to show you this season is actually different. And I have to laugh to answer because, you know, I was kind of tongue-in-cheek saying this is a big game. And I was expecting people to say, like, Jamie, what are you talking about? You're out to lunch. And then immediately when I say it in the text message inbox, we got text coming in saying, what are you talking about? This is a big game. <laughs> That's from TR and Courtney. Another one. Every game is a big game. We could be out of a playoff win with a difference of one point. We need this win. That's a good point as well, right? Like I, I talked about a little bit on the show yesterday. The margins are very thin for this team. You only get two cracks at the Buffalo Sabres this year. Why not make the most of them, right? Because yeah. as the unsigned texter says, a point either way could easily be the difference. Uh, for making the playoffs or not for this team. Yeah, every win counts the same at the end, right? And yep. here's the other thing. The Canucks, their schedule gets really hard on the back end, of the hand, uh, back end of this season. So they do need to bank points here. Like, they do need to bank points. I think a hot start for this team is absolutely essential. And I'm not saying, like, 7-3 and three or 7-2-1 and one or something, but they certainly need to be, you know, 6-4, <laughs> and four, something like that. Like, they certainly need to come out of this road trip with a winning record. And you got to beat the teams you should beat at a certain point, right? You got to beat up on, and you know, people will, if they do inflate their record against bad teams, people will say, ah, look who they've played. But look, you can only play who's on the schedule. You can only play who's in front of you. And that's what good teams do anyway. They beat up on the teams at the bottom of the standings, on the talent poor teams in the NHL. And again, Big game might be a little bit of a stretch, although some texters disagree. They say it is a big game, but I think this is a golden chance for the Canucks to show us that things are going to be different this year. And it looks like as they try to do that, they're going to have some reinforcements in the lineup. If you missed it off the top of the show, news came down just as we were getting into the show that the Canucks have designated forward Nick Patan for assignment. That means he's going on waivers to join the Abbotsford Canucks. And the corresponding move that prompted that move is that Brock Besser has been reactivated and all signs point to Besser making his season debut for the Vancouver Canucks tonight after missing the first three games of the season. And, you know, I talk about what an opportunity this is for the team as a whole to go out and play the Buffalo Sabres tonight and get a big win. 
I will also say it feels kind of like the perfect chance for the top six forward group on this team to have kind of a statement game in their own right for the first time this season. We all love the talent. Well, most people love the talent that's been assembled in that top six. I don't want to speak for everyone. They haven't necessarily shown, I think even Travis Green said it today or yesterday, you know, there's still another level for that top six to reach, right? And again, this is a great chance against the Buffalo Sabres that, you know, they don't have a traditional shutdown pair on defense. They don't have a, a lineup that you're really scared about matching up against on the road, right? Like, this sets up very well, especially with Brock Besser coming back for the top six to find that new level that they haven't showed so far this year. Yeah, although the top six line that's been, you know, lagging a bit is that Pearson Horvat Garland group. I mean, they they had a good game against Detroit, but that was the first time that we saw Vancouver's sort of second line come in and, you know, consistently churn the game in the direction they wanted. Like tilt the ice, uh, you know, begin to uh, have those consecutive heavy shifts that you kind of need if you're going to carry momentum shift after shift over the course of a game or a period. And we haven't seen that enough from Vancouver in terms of the quality of their top six. Uh, For me, that's sort of one thing that won't be impacted by Besser's return is what we're going to see out of that Horvat line because we do need to see them just spend more zone time, like generate more offensive zone time on a more regular basis than they have in the first three games. I think the logic of what this team requires to be successful requires them to be pressing on a more regular basis than they have so far five on five. Uh, You know, the... Thing to remember about Buffalo, though, also, Jamie, you know, this team should, like, the Canucks should be able to beat them at the top end of their lineup. Like, that's where this game needs to be won from a Canucks perspective. They need to get, uh, the Canucks need the Pedersen line, the Horvat line, the Miller line, if he's on a different line, which if Besser's back, it looks like he probably will be. Like, they need those players to make the difference because while Buffalo is underskilled, if you go down that lineup, like it's a lot of NHL players. It's not guys like this is not a lot of young guys learning the league necessarily. This is a team that, you know, they've got, they've got NHL level players. Maybe they're slotted a little higher than you'd like ideally, but they go, I mean, they're not a shallow team. There's no point where you're going to be like, Oh, well the Canucks have to be able to capitalize off of that guy because he can't play defense or that guy's 19. Like they have to be able to have their way there. Uh, that, that that's not kind of what this team looks like. Like there, there is NHL caliber talent in this lineup up and down it. And so, you know, it, it really is on the key difference makers to be exactly that tonight. Yeah. That's where the Canucks have the big advantage. You're right. They have those elite players, those guys who can tilt the ice, who can break a game open. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up Bo Horvat because I think the, the kind of theory going into this year, when you looked at how the, the, the roster and the lineup was going to shape up at forward was Bo Horvat has had to assume so much burden for the Canucks in recent years because the bottom six has just not been able to sustain any sort of, you know, positive impact on the ice that you have to shelter them. You don't feel like you're going to win those minutes ever. So that means Bo Horvat is out there playing against all of the other team's top, top players, right? He's out there taking every important face off because you don't have anyone else you can trust. And a big part of the theory going into this Canuck season was, okay, Jason Dickinson theoretically can help share some of that burden. And Bo Horvat should be able to get more offensive opportunities as a result. And, 
<laughs> you know, we have a texture texting in. Horvat has been invisible. That's from TR in Courtney. And I think it's fair to point out, you know, he was robbed a couple of times by Thomas Grice in Detroit, albeit I think one on the power play and then one six on five late, right? So it's not as if it was him doing it at five on five where you really want to see it. But he's had his I chances. thought he was great. Yeah. I thought he was great on Saturday. I thought yeah. that was like Bo Horvat throwing fireballs at his best on Saturday. He didn't get rewarded for it, but if he looks like that more often than not, you know, he's going to be the guy who handles tough matchups, comes out roughly even on the shot counter and has 65 points every year. Like he's going to be an extraordinarily valuable player to this team if he looks anything like he did in Detroit on a regular basis. I thought, you know, he was really great in that game after uh, two, the first two of the season where he was a little bit quieter. Well, and again, because as I was saying, you know, part of it is, okay, Jason Dickinson's there to share some of the burden. And that like, Dickinson's done his job. It hasn't necessarily been in super tough minutes, but he, he has done his job of going out there and playing low event hockey so far. But I think the other part of it was, and I know he had Niels Hoaglander on his wing last year. Niels Hoaglander was a rookie. He was extremely effective, but you're still playing with a rookie. With Connor Garland potentially out there as a line mate now for Bo Horvat, can that kind of unlock some more offensive opportunities for Bo Horvat? And I agree with you about Saturday's game. One thing that stood out to me is there were moments in that game where, you know, Bo Horvat could really just focus on getting in on the forecheck, retrieving the puck and getting it to Connor Garland and letting Connor Garland kind of bear the weight of being creative in the offensive zone then. Right. And, and that's a, a something, you know, that's kind of a, a luxury that Bo Horvat has not had a lot of in recent seasons in Vancouver, right? Like he has been the driver in every facet on his line more often than not. And now with Connor Garland, I think it just opens up another dimension of Bo Horvat's game. And I, I'm hoping that what we saw on Saturday is a sign of things to come from that unit. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet though, right? Like that's sort of part of the concern. Yep. Garland is a play driving winger, but that line hasn't, clicked just yet which is i think why you know at monday's practice with besser returning to the main group every single forward line got switched up except the horvat line with garland and pearson and i asked green about that today uh, after after the optional skate and he sort of said you know he, he copped to it like yeah like building that familiarity i think it's crucial for for garland um and and also for Bo. and so you know there you go and and i also had a chat with Bo horvat uh, this morning, I was talking, I was sort of asking him about his first season, kind of poking at it from the perspective, honestly, of Vasily Podkolzin, right? And and Horvat mentioned to me, you know, it was in my second year where we had some injuries and I kind of got thrown into the fire, to which I quipped to him, and, and you've never left, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you've, you've been in the fire since, battling tough. So, um, you know, so it goes. Bo Horvat is the least of this team's concerns, but when we talk about Besser's potential return, right? Yeah. One thing that's interesting to me is Horvat on the power play, right? When this power play is at its best, Bo Horvat in that bumper spot is a crucial weapon, right? Like an absolutely yep. essential weapon as a shooter. And right now among first power play unit forwards, he's got by far the lowest shot rate, like by far. And that to me is a product of more than anything because in that bumper spot you're not creating your own offense right like you are the recipient of other people's puck movement particularly the three guys up high maybe occasionally the guy down low with Besser coming back you've got a righty now right who can whether he's at the left circle or whether he's at the 
net front, yep. and those are the two spots that he'd line up, potentially, regardless of where he's at, that's now a pass that makes Horvat a one-time option, either from down low or from the half wall. That should unlock Bo Horvat. Like, if you're looking for who's the biggest beneficiary of Besser's return, it's actually not Elias Pettersson, because whether Pettersson's playing with Hoaglander or Besser or JT Miller, uh, like he's still playing with a really good line mate, right? Like it's actually not yeah. the guy who he'll play with the most. It's actually Bo Horvat because of what that right-handed player smart enough to key and activate the offense on the power play does for Horvat's shot rate. That's a big thing to watch for tonight. Well, I wanted to bring up the power play, right? Because obviously with Besser returning, there's the five on five impact and you hope he can help give that top six a boost. But as you point out, you know, look, Pedersen, and particularly when Pedersen has been paired with Hoaglander so far this year, you know, he, he's doing a good job of controlling play out there. And I think the numbers will start to come. The production will start to come more consistently from Pedersen if they keep doing those things. But I'm glad you brought up the power play and specifically that Bo Horvat play. That has really been their most consistent scoring option on the power play for quite some time now, right? Like, yeah, they try to set up the Elias Pedersen one-timer. Quite often, it, that, that's that been a, you know, a pretty hit or miss option on the power play, you know, for a while, right? They, that is, they have not been able to find consistent success. The place they have had that consistent success is getting Bo Horvat that shot from the bumper spot. And, you know, as I mentioned, he was robbed by Thomas Grice on Saturday. One of them was on that play where, you know, Hughes zipped it down to Chase on, who immediately got it to Horvat, and, and Grice just made a fantastic toe save yeah, on the shot. But just the power play in general, I, I know they're what? They're 3 for 12, something like that, so far this year. So that's yep, not pretty bad. Pretty good, 25%. But it, it, yep. it, does, it hasn't looked scary to me, right? It hasn't. I, they haven't hit a groove where you say, man, that power play is really clicking. And I don't want to put it all on Brock Besser to get them to that level. But you know what? You put another high skill guy out there. You, you kind of reunite potentially the unit that has had a ton of success in the past with Hughes, Miller, Pedersen, Besser, and Horvat. And I, I think that's a spot where you really hope to see Besser have a significant impact right away. I, I think you're dead on. And, and Besser's most underrated attribute in this market, because everyone thinks of him as the shooter, but his most underrated attribute is the hockey IQ. Like, this is a really, really smart offensive hockey player. This is a guy who can unlock defenses in a variety of different ways. And one thing that he's improved a ton on over the past two years is his playmaking. Like, he is a really savvy distributor in addition to, you know, uh, being able to beat set goaltenders at the NHL level, a skill that, like, 30 people in the world have, right? Uh, Besser... Besser's passing game, I think, means an awful lot to this power play, and especially because the other key pieces that always play power play for this team, Miller, Horvat, Pedersen, and Hughes, they all share one attribute that Besser differs from them in, and that's they're all lefties, yeah. right? Adding that top-end righty to this group makes a huge difference, like shifts a lot of things. And that's not putting it all on Besser. That's just the fact of how a power play fits together and how much handedness can influence the way it looks and the danger that it's able to generate. There's also just, look, there's never anything bad with, you know, adding another highly skilled player in place of a, a low, low, more lowly skilled player, right? And, and, you know, I don't want to disrespect Alex Chason and what he's been able to do on the power play, but Brock Besser is a more skilled hockey player than him. And just, you know, even if you're not talking about once they're set up on the power play, when they're trying to gain the zone, 
there's going to be times where the puck, you know, you're trying to retrieve the puck and the fifth most skilled player on the power play has to make a play to keep the zone, right? Like that's a thing that happens. Yep. And if it's Besser in that position, as opposed to chase on, uh, they're just in a much, much better spot to handle thing. Unsigned text comes in saying, I feel Miller moves the puck too slowly on the power play. I feel like everyone moves the puck a little too slowly on the power play, but that's probably a discussion for another time because we're we're running out of time here <laughs> on the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. And wow, I can't believe we've got this text in already. I thought this was Drance's show. Jamie barely lets him get a word in. I will say I got I got advice from a couple of uh, a couple of hosts at 650 uh, Drancer before I was doing the show saying hey come on make sure make sure you get a few words and don't let Drancer take the show over so apparently I'm doing all right yeah it's that's tough to do man I'm uh, I'm a ball dominant point guard so uh, well done. <laughs> I think what we're going for here is I'm the point guard and I'm trying to set you up. But maybe I, maybe I need oh, to adjust okay. that uh, that shot to assist ratio. Fair enough. See, I thought you were bit. like Tyrone Hill for for the 76ers <laughs> where it was like, you know, the announcers are like, "Wow, Allen Iverson with another rebound assist." <laughs> Do you remember that era of 76ers yeah. basketball? It was great. They were like, "Wow, Iverson's giving giving his teammates another assist off the offensive glass." It's like, "No, that's yeah. not an assist. Guys the just the Kobe assist." Yeah, no, it's just a missed <laughs> yeah. shot. Just a missed shot. <laughs> Uh, it is the Canucks Hour here at Sportsnet 650. Bick Nazar and Irfan Gafar are up next. They'll have Sportsnet today for a couple of Earth. hours before. Yeah, there Beautiful. you go, Irf. Uh, you love it, love when, it when he hops on for the full co-hosting duties. I'm actually shocked that they were able to rope him into two hours <laughs> on air, knowing Irf. But there you go. I'm glad that they did it. Uh, Sat and Randeep will have the pregame show coming up at 2. And then, of course, the Canucks and the Buffalo Sabres gets going at 4 o'clock. Just a couple of other lineup notes. As we mentioned, Nick Patan is on waivers. Brock Besser reactivated, so we expect to see Besser in the lineup tonight. Thatcher Demko gets the start. That was confirmed by Travis Green earlier today. All right, Drancer, enjoy the game tonight in Buffalo. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone. This has been the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650.